Welcome to another episode of Maximus Men Striving for Greatness. I'm Chris De Silva, your host from the Life Family and Outreach Office in the Archdiocese of Sydney. Today, something special, we're going to be hearing the powerful testimony of a wonderful man who does so much good in men's ministry in the Archdiocese of Sydney. He's probably our number one fan on our social media at the moment as well, so kudos to him for that. Uh, welcome, Jim Jankovitz. How are you, Jim? Good. Well, thank you very much. Awesome. Great to have you here again, Jim. So before we get into the topic, as usual, I'd just like to remind you all to like our Facebook page, Maximus Men Striving for Greatness. So if you're typing that in on Facebook, it's Maximus Dash Men Striving for Greatness. And then we also have a group that we encourage all men who are Catholic or interested in the Catholic faith to join. And that group's called Maximus Men. And if you join that group, you'll see at the end of every episode that we put out on our social media, there's a challenge for men. So Jim's going to issue us a challenge sometime towards the end of this episode. And last week, we had Karen Doyle on the show. She was our very first female guest talking to us about what women want from the men in, in their lives, not just husbands, but also mums, sisters, whatever you have it. Um, and Karen challenged us to think on the question, who will you be? And she was drawing from the wisdom of Pope St. John Paul II, challenging men to ask, who will you be for the women in your lives? Will you be active, a man of integrity, a man of faith, who leads and provides for and protects the women in his life? Or will you be passive and, um, and reject your call to greatness and to sanctity? So keep pondering on that question, men. But just before we get on topic now with Jim, we'll say a quick prayer and then we'll get into it. So if you'll join me, Jim, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day. We thank you for the gift of our masculinity. And uh, we pray that we can humble ourselves before you and ask for the grace for you to transform us more and more each day into the men who you call us to be. And I pray that you would speak through Jim, that you'd speak through me, and that you'd inspire everyone listening or watching this to know the great things that you can do in our lives, the great works you can call us to, and the great transformation that you can affect in our hearts as well. And we might ask for Our Lady's intercession during this time as well. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks very much for praying with me there, Jim. Pleasure. So, Jim, before we actually get into your life story, I believe that there's a nugget of wisdom which will whet everybody's appetite to hear a little bit more about what you're all about and what you've been through. Um, what can you share with us before we begin? Okay, look, uh, a, a few years ago, my daughter wrote me a very lovely card, and I'll read out that later after I just, just sort of share this uh, bit of reading here that I had. And it's all about our story, yeah? Yeah. You see the one that I am, not the one that I was. But the one that I was is also still part of me. That's by Jean, Jean Amory. So our stories are central to our journey. It is the mine where we dig for the nuggets of wisdom for living today. We don't tell our stories to wallow in the shame and guilt we felt or to gain sympathy for our suffering. In telling our stories, often others, uh, others get to know us better because our history is part of our very self. 
I'm grateful for telling my story and knowing that I am more than the person I once was. And often we forget that, I think, uh, uh, Chris, that we, we do some work and we have some insights and so forth, but we forget that we, we grow through those things, you know? And I'll share now something that my, one of my daughters wrote to me a few years ago, which uh, brought me to tears. And I suppose it's something that parents would love to hear from their children. And I just want to share this because it's worthwhile doing the hard work and doing the journey to be able to be more intimate with your loved ones. Yeah? So this is what she wrote, dear dad, thank you for being a good father, parent and friend. I know I can always turn to you and no matter what, no matter what, and I know you will always give me support, advice, and honesty. I am proud of the great man you have grown to be. I truly cherish the honest relationship we have built. So I thought that was just very special and it, it really made that journey worth for me. It's been hard work. But I think God gives us these gifts to say that, look, you're on your good journey here, you know, and it's worthwhile. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that, Jim. It's really beautiful. And for me, as a young dad, that's, that's touching. And it inspires me to keep trying to give my best every day as a dad to my little boys. Um, and hopefully they can say something similar to me when they're growing up as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the aim, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Now, Jim, you have a very, very colorful life story. I'm not going to just ask you to tell me a life story. Let's break it up a bit. Um, and let's just start with, with your childhood. Sure. Tell us a bit about your childhood, maybe up until the time that you moved to Australia, because you're not from here. No, no. I was, I was born in the north of Germany in Hamburg, yeah, Hamburg. And... Um, it, it it was interesting there, you know. Um, we I was born just after the war, a little bit after the war, and uh, because Hamburg being a, a big port of of uh, Germany, it was virtually flattened during the war, and so there was really very very few accommodation left, and the uh, government built these communities for family. A lot of them were single parent families because A, the father didn't come back from the war or they, they suffered greatly from PTSD and all that sort of stuff. So we were really a community of, of, um, of mainly and majorly fatherless families. Yeah. Mm. And um, yeah, so it was, it was interesting, but we, we shared a lot because we, we virtually had the same background sort of thing all, all our all us kids sort of thing, yeah? So, yeah, so that, that's basically that. And then um, for, I didn't know my father. I didn't know, well, I've never questioned whether I had a father, funnily. I had many uncles or a few uncles in my life, but I've, I've never really thought about my father, not having a father, because a lot of us were the same. We didn't know our fathers because, as I said, they were either killed in the war, didn't come back or whatever. Yeah. So all of us had very much uh, something in common with that. Yeah. So and then my mother somehow found out who my, where my father was and, and found out that he was in Australia. So... Um, and, and hence we came out here sort of thing, yeah? Yeah, Jim, and, uh, and in this time, who were your role models as men? Your dad wasn't in the picture. So what kind of example was set for you and who, who was setting that example? Yeah, look, it, it, for all of us, really, it was very difficult because we really did not have our, our real fathers. We had uh, men in our lives who mainly, I guess, were not that interested in us because we weren't their sons. So what I saw was I grew up in a very violent, alcoholic atmosphere and there was a lot of abuse, verbal, emotional. And, um, and we all, all of us really there, suffered similar circumstances. So we, we shared that quite a bit, yeah? And um, 
and and that was that was it. So there wasn't really any good positive role model there. You know, there was a as I said, a lot of violence, and I guess for a while there, I thought, well, that's how men act. That's how men, you know, um, assert themselves with their masculinity and their strength. Yeah. And Jim, through that time, you were you were led actually into a street gang, I believe. So how did the experience of fatherlessness lead to you being involved in a street gang? Uh, look, this was just, all of us wanted to get away from what was happening in our homes, yeah, because it wasn't pleasant. And we lived near a river, the River Elbe, which is one of the, a uh, big river in Germany that leads from the North Sea to Hamburg. Yeah. So we, the, we just gathered on the banks of the river and, and just shared what we were going through. And, and uh, looking back at it, for me, that, that was like a second family or a family, if you like, you know, mm. because really we, we could relate to each other. We could share with each other what's happened and so forth. Uh, sadly, with that sort of thing, of course, you get off the wrong track. And, and that's what happened with us. We started shoplifting. You get gamer and gamer, you know, you get more and more. And, and um, yeah, and, and that just was the story. And, and we put like uh, firecrackers and letter boxes and all that sort of stuff. So we, uh, yeah, we, we were known in the neighborhood, put it this way, as, as uh, causing a bit of trouble and, and so forth, you know. So, but look, uh, looking back at it now, uh, you, you hear often said that there's honesty amongst thieves and all that, you know. And that was the case, you know, although we were doing wrong, which we really didn't know, we didn't relate to that at all. It was fun for yeah. us. You know, it, it was daring, you know, who could pinch the most on the day, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that was all a bit, um, yeah, uh, interesting, you know? So <laughs> and interestingly, interestingly enough, uh, when I had the chance to go back to Germany, I met up with some of these guys, mainly guys. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And look, some of them turned out hardened criminals, you know. Um, wow. They were robbers. And, and goodness knows what would have happened to me if I would have stayed there, you know. Yeah. But really, some of them turned really, they, they did some hard time in jail, you know. And wow. uh, that was interesting. That made me really, again, once I was on my journey of, of, of uh, spirituality, that made me look. Um, at, at my journey and how God had been part of that made me think, wow, thank you for getting me out of that, yeah? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so how, how old were you once you left the situation? I mean, did you leave, was that when you came to Australia that you yeah, left? Yeah, about 15, the, 16, that was the age there, you know? Yeah. And and by, by that time, I mean, we, we started the gang probably when we were 10 years old. And, wow. And, and so I had five years of this exciting life, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Living on the edge, Jim. <laughs> Living on the edge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but, but, you know, it stimulates you and it, it, it energizes you there because there was something to do, you know? Although it was wrong, of course, yeah? So you came to Australia as a young German rebellious teenager yeah. What was that experience like moving here? What 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 were your feelings at the time? Can you remember? Look, it it, it was exciting because even at school we didn't learn much about Australia. Australia was just something down there south somewhere. So I really didn't know the history about Australia. I knew very, very little. I couldn't speak a word of English. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a very yeah, I was looking forward to that adventure, if you like, you know, not with the thought of getting away from the gang, mm -hmm. but but really to, I wasn't, to be honest, I wasn't that excited to see my father because at 15 or 16, it's, it's not something, for me at least, it wasn't something that I was greatly looking forward to there, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And did you get to see your dad when you got here? Yeah, yeah, we, we actually, and, and look, that uh, that was another uh, story. There, he lived in uh, about 300 kilometres from Sydney in a country town. Yeah. With a uh, with a couple, a married couple. Yeah. Okay. And um, 
and the woman of that uh, that marriage, she ruled the house, if you like. She was boss of the house, yeah? Okay. So, as you could imagine, with uh, us coming there, another woman in the household with a child, that they didn't have children, mm. the dynamics were very interesting, to say the least there, yeah? Also, the communication there, because we could not speak uh, English. Uh, my father had very few words in, um, in German because he was a prisoner of war in Germany. So he learned a few words there. Yeah. Right. But it was not so that we could have a conversation if you like. Yeah. So, and I made a promise to myself to not speak German for 10 years to learn the language. And I didn't. Wow. Although my mother communicated to me in German and I would, use a book sort of thing and answer her in English, yeah? <laughs> and was it just you and your mum who came over from Germany or was it your siblings as well? No, no, they're much older than me. Uh, I'm the youngest and the, the other three, two brothers and a sister, they had a different father to me because my mother was married and got divorced or got separated or whatever after the war. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, something must have happened, obviously, with my father there somehow, yeah? yeah. So, um, so I was very, I'm, I'm 10 years younger than the next youngest or oldest one sort of thing. So it was a pretty huge gap. And I didn't really live with them as such, or they weren't at home, because after the war, they were fostered out. And my mother only kept one of the children, and that was my, my middle brother sort of thing, yeah? So you could imagine the dynamics there of those three siblings. Uh, that was also very difficult for them. You know, why why did one stay and the two others were fostered out? You know, so yeah, that, those were very yeah. So when we came here, I I had really I had, I had nothing, no friends, and and it was as I said, it was interesting, it mm. was challenging, and. Um, and uh, here I am, I'm still here to live to, to tell the story, you know, which is great. Yeah. yeah. So can you tell us about what happened with your relationship with your mother after you moved to Australia? Um, how it led to the, the situation where you were then also abandoned by her? Yeah, look, the abandonment really happened in Germany as well, because she was never okay. really emotionally there for me. Okay. And uh, because obviously I was not planned, I always felt that I was, I don't know, just, I just happened sort of thing, you know, it was an accident. And, and so there was never really that love and affection there. And, and she, she, well, I felt emotionally abandoned by her all my life in my childhood because she was yeah. really never close to me. And also very much uh, she physically abandoned me a couple of times in, uh, in Germany as well. But um, when we came here to Australia, that, that really was one of the worst experiences that I've had in my life, I suppose, where, as I said before, the dynamics at that house were absolutely horrible. Um, you know, and my mother could just not cope with that. So she packed up and left. She went back to Germany and left me here in Australia with these strangers that I could hardly communicate with and yeah. and and again I, I just felt totally at a loss you know I just um, who would I turn to there I didn't know anybody yeah and so it was a very very difficult time um, and um, what happened then was um, the the woman's husband actually he was very ill and he was sleeping in a separate room next to her bedroom yeah and and this is my one of my the first big encounter with our Lord, I guess, with Jesus there that that uh, got me to to convert. Now she got very friendly with me and and started off with um, getting me to wash her in the bath and then finishing up going to bed with her sort of thing. Yeah. And and I guess looking back at that now, at that time, being 15 or 16, that's a bit exciting, I suppose, to have all that. And plus, it also made me forget about the pain of the loss of my mother once more. Because this was something exciting, sneaking into the bedroom and all that. That was all, it, it sort of 
brought me back to the gang sort of thing where you're also yeah. daring and trying things out and all that. Mm. And, and that went on for a while, you know. So that was my first encounter really with a female. She was uh, 45, I was 15. So looking back at that really, that was sexual abuse, you know. And, yeah. and um, it, it, there was a moment then after a few months where one night, the husband uh, just yelled out from the next room. He was very ill. He was dying of some, I don't know what he had now. He said, I know what you're doing in there. Mm. And, and that pierced my heart. At that moment, I thought, wow, what am I doing here? You know, what am I doing here? So, the next morning, um, when when everybody got up and had breakfast, the woman went into next door into the room, and uh, he was dead. He passed away during the night. So yeah. that that really that really put me into a spin. That really, I mean, I was not, I never went to church. I I, I wasn't on a spiritual path. My mother wasn't religious, uh, so. I really didn't have an experience of God or Jesus or Mary or whatever. I just thought, wow, what have I done? Am I responsible for this? You know, because of what I did, I, I did something wrong. And and who could I talk to? There was just nobody there. My father, I mean, I couldn't tell him, couldn't communicate with him anyway. So it, it, it just left me devastated. I was broken, you know. I was really broken at that time. And uh, for, for some time, actually, because I just sat on this stuff. I had no one to share that with, no one to talk to about it, you know? Yeah. So that was, um, that was a difficult time for me at that stage, you know, at that age, you know? Yeah. And I suppose what's interesting about that in retrospect is that you can see now how God used that moment to make use of your conscience to really, you know, prick your heart, as you said, and we often think that, you know, we need to form our consciences. And yes, we do need to form our consciences according to what's in God's word and, and uh, the natural law and these sorts of things. But for you, you'd had almost no formation of your conscience. And yet God still broke through to you in a way in that moment. And, and I suppose that's what started to set you on the path, isn't it? That started to set me on the path because, um, yeah, uh, I mean, I was very, very fortunate that uh, across the road from us, there was a very, very kindly gentleman, you know, and he was referred to by everybody in the neighborhood as Pop, yeah? Yeah. And, um, and he taught me English, yeah? He sort of okay. took me under his wing, if you like. So he was really a spiritual father for me in a sense, yeah? Sure. Now, he noticed uh, this big change in me, and um, he asked me what, what the matter was and all that, and, and because of the shame and guilt that I felt, I was not able to tell him anything. I was not able to share that with him. I, I just felt, wow, I can't, I have to sit on this. I can't tell this to anybody, yeah? But he was a practicing Catholic, so... And he was really the only male role model that I've had in my life. Mm. Really never wanted anything of me. He really never uh, abused me or, or used me or whatever. You know, he, he was just so kind and soft and gentle. And um, he just asked me one day if I wanted to come to church with him. Uh, so he was a uh, practicing Catholic, and I went to church with him. And uh, that was another moment, Chris, where I just sort of thought there must be something else to life, you know. Because sure. he, he was just sitting there, he was so peaceful, he was at ease, and he was just so prayerful. And I thought, wow, you know, that's, I've never seen a man like that, yeah. He just really left a big impression on me there. Yeah. And um, and he eventually sort of uh, talked to me about it. I asked him about what he was doing and so forth. And he shared a little bit about his prayer life and so forth to me. And um, 
then he started talking about uh, going to to the priest. And at first I thought, well, why would I want to do that? You know, what, what, what do you want here sort of thing? You know, and at that, at that stage, I wasn't baptized. Yeah, I was never baptized. So it took a while for him to get me to go to the priest and he came with me a couple of times. And there wasn't any RCIA program at that stage. It was just mm. a one-on-one -on -one with the priest at that stage, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and the impression that, that, um, that I got there was that, yes, I heard him preach in the church about God's love, God's mercy and forgiveness and all of that. But in my communication with him, he, he painted a little bit of a different picture there, you know, because I shared with him what had happened yeah. and, and the history I had in Germany and all that. Mm. So he, he, he just virtually told me I'm condemned sort of thing, you know, and, and I need to do something about all that. So it was all very harsh, but there was no expression of love or tenderness or whatever. It's just, that well, we can baptize compassion and you'll be a right sort of thing. If you do any more wrong, what out there what a big you. So it's the impression I got from my journey. And um, and finally looking back at it now, um, it was really more of what I had at home, really. You know, you do wrong, you get bashed up. So that's what I had in my life. So God is no different. So I was used to it. So I didn't really question that at all at that stage because I didn't, yeah. I didn't know better. I didn't know that there was another way to, to uh, connect with God and all that. Yeah? So that was uh, yeah, also very confusing for me at, at, at some stage there. Yeah? yeah, absolutely. I can see that. So you've got Pop who has set you a, a new and, and wonderful example of, of being a man and how to live as a man of faith. But then you've got the priest of all people coming in and actually reinforcing the previous ideas that you had had about God in the church. Yeah. So how do you, I suppose, how did the, the impression that Pop gave you of God in the church, how did that win out for you? And how did you end up following that pathway? Uh, because, I mean, just seeing Pop with me in church and speaking to him about his relationship that he had with God, which was not the picture that the priest painted of me, I thought, okay, so he's got this relationship, so, so there must be a way, there must be a way, you know, that, that, um, that, that I can get to that point, yeah, because I wanted to have what he had, yeah, mm -hmm. um, and and then when finally when I got baptized, it took a while as I said, when I got baptized, I, I don't, and, and I suppose looking back at it now is that like when you normally when you get baptized, you're a baby, you don't have a choice in that. You get baptized and that's it, yeah? yeah? But actually because of what I had experienced and the path that I've had, I've made a conscious decision to, to be baptized. And, and I guess that played a big part for me there because when that, during that process of, of being baptized, I actually felt something lift off me. You know, I, I had this moment where I felt light, I felt all, all and, and I had been to, to confession yeah. and, and confessed all of that. Mm -hmm. so, but I, I just felt that a big weight had been lifted off me, if that makes sense, you know. I felt this peace, yeah, yeah, and and um, and so, yeah. So I, while I was in uh, in that country town there, I I went to church with Pop, and um, as I said, just watching him just helped me to continue on my journey there. Yeah, that's wonderful, Jim. Um, that that God's grace still rescued rescued you out of that situation again. Um, yeah, you can see how he's had a really big and important plan for you there because you can also see the temptations from the devil to get you heading back the other way. Um, yeah. But 
but God really reached down and, and pulled you out of there. It's really powerful. Yeah, he did. And that's, that's without me really asking for it. Yeah. Saying that, look, give me out of here. I don't know what to do. It just happened. Mm. And I suppose you, you hear that often said, you know, nothing happens by coincidence. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason, you know, and that's something that I learned later on. And, and uh, while that was happening to me, I didn't realize that. But now looking back at it, exactly as you say, you can see, and, and, and sometimes I, I love to have a look at this poem, you know, the footsteps in the sand, you know? Yeah. It's I a classic. Yeah. <laughs> I was carried for a long, long time, you know? There were only one yeah. set of footprints there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah? So then uh, you've, you've come into the church now, and then you have shared with me previously that you actually drifted away a little bit after that. Um, can you tell me a bit about that experience? Like, how, how did you drift away? Yeah, look, that was, uh, again, um, I didn't see much future for myself in, in that country town. And having come from mm-hmm. Hamburg, that was quite a bit of a culture shock for me yeah. to go to a country town of 20,000 people then, yeah? Sure. So I made my move to come to Sydney, yeah? Mm-hmm. To continue my career. Yeah. And um, sadly, I, I said goodbye to Pop sort of thing, and, and I saw him on occasions whenever I went back to visit my parents in Orange. Yeah. And, um, and but really, I had no, for many, many, many years, I had no Catholic practicing Catholics in my life. I went to church, yeah, uh, every Sunday. And I'm very aware now of my prayer life uh, then. It was, God, give me what I think I need, and I'll be good, and I'll go to church. Yeah. That never happened. No. <laughs> it never happened. So... I really got a bit annoyed with that, you know, and I thought, well, look, if you're not going to give me what I want, I'm just, why do I need you sort of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't really need you in my life. And mm. uh, once again, he carried me yeah, mm. Mm. into the next step. And um, and so, yeah, for many, many years, I, I did not, not, not go to church, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that as well. Um, you know, for me, yes, I was brought up as a as a cradle Catholic and a cultural Catholic, just going to church because you got to go to church and just saying grace, that sort of thing. And then I, as I got into my teen years, it was very much, God, give me what I want. I'll go to Mass on Sunday sort of thing. And uh, yeah, that wasn't working out very well uh, for me either. So yeah, that's that's not the model to follow. So no. how did you how did you get back on on track again, Jim? Yeah, look, that really again, and, and it was a very powerful experience, I suppose, in a way too. I I met a, uh, a, a Schoenstatt diocesan priest, Father Dennis, yeah, Father Dennis Foley, and um, because my my daughters went to a Catholic church, yes. Yeah? So we helped build. Actually, we 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 were pioneers in the, in Menai in that area. That because we built up the church, we laid yeah. pavers and all that. So we got really involved with building up this church, and that got me sure. back into it, I suppose, if you if you like. Sure. So that's the the doing thing of being a man, I suppose. You know, you're doing something, and and you hope you 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 acknowledge for that or whatever. Yeah, working on a project. Yeah, you're working on a project. It's a doing thing. There was not much being in that, yeah? There was a lot of doing in that, which was satisfying, though, to see that we built something for the girl, for, for my girls, I suppose, a church and a school that was mm-hmm. become. So that, that sort of started me sort of back on the path, I suppose, to that. Now, when Father Dennis um, found out that I was a ger- German, he said, oh, would you be interested to have a look at Schoenstatt? And, and I said, what's that? You know, and he started to explain that to me, that there was a German uh, Marian movement that started in the south of Germany, 
where where most of the Catholics are are gathered, you know, in the north, a more Lutheran sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he started to tell me about the formation of Schoenstatt and how that all happened and, and so forth. And that got me very interested there. You know, and he talked about, actually, he talked about love. He talked about freedom. And he talked about the responsibility that comes with freedom. freedom. Mm. I've never heard that language from any priest, you know? Wow. So he very much engaged with me on that level and, and he made me very curious about that. Or what was this all about sort of thing, you know? And, and then of course, uh, I read a bit about the story of the founder, Father Kentony. And he was also abandoned by his mother, you know? His mother actually gave him over to Mary. And that made me think a bit. I thought, oh, okay. So let's think about this a bit. And I started to sort of pray to Mary a bit, yeah? And I said, look, could you be, would you be my mother? Yeah? Because I knew from the reading of Schoenstatt that Mary would never abandon her children. And that also had a very powerful effect on me because I thought, well, finally there is somebody, who, who a, a woman, a mother, who's not going to abandon me, yeah? yeah. So that, that made me very much uh, drift into that, into that spirituality of, of journeying with Mary in Jesus and the Holy Spirit to a loving, merciful, forgiving Father, you know? And, um, and that's been a, a wonderful, wonderful process for me, I must say. It's, it's, and that's really really got me very, very much involved more into the, because part of the education of Schoenstatt is self-education, yeah? And, and I very much like that part of it because I thought I was not very self-educated myself. You know, I didn't know much about myself. I, I, I knew stuff happened to me, but yeah. I never really processed that, processed that from my soul point of view, if you like, yeah? So Schoenstatt very much engaged me at a very much deeper level to have a look at all that. And, and that's where I sort of came to realize that all that had happened and all these incidents, they were, I mean, I wouldn't, chosen, I wouldn't have chosen that journey for myself to get closer to God, but obviously he knew what he was doing with me, yeah? So yeah. just looking at that, that wonderful journey I've had and I mean, you hear it said too sometimes, you know, following Jesus is not like a walk in the park, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard slog, you know, you really, you really uh, need to work through stuff and see what the purpose of things are in life that you get faced with, you know. So, yeah, so that's been a very interesting journey there. And then, I mean, the next deep, deep, um, uh, jump came for me when uh, during the Holy Year of Mercy, you know, which was a few years ago. Yeah. And Schoenstatt, the Schoenstatt Shrine was actually dedicated as a, as a Holy Door of Mercy. Yeah? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, as part of that in the uh, Parameter Diocese, there was a pilgrimage of the Mercy Cross, which also stayed at um, Parameter, at uh, Magawa, Schoenstatt. Yeah. That was a, a mind-blowing experience for me too then. Then, of course, Pope Francis encouraged us to have a 24 hours for the Lord, yeah? Um, yes. which, which I partly instigated and, and made that. So I actually had, had my first 24-hour session. And I wasn't one much for adoration at all. I hadn't done that much. So when I thought 24 hours, well, it's a fairly big task. Yeah, but and people said, "Look, you're crazy. Don't do it." Sort of thing, you know. So we put a program together, and every hour there would be a different person to be responsible for that hour. So some prayers and music, and um, and actually, look, I was touched so much by the Holy Spirit there, and and something just came to my mind all, over and over again, and that was this. I've always been interested in a road trip around Australia. Yeah. Mm. And I was on my own at that stage. I had divorced my wife. And um, 
And my daughter said, you're not going around Australia on your own, you know, don't be crazy, yeah? <laughs> but as I sat there in front of the, um, of our Lord there, you know, it came clearer and clearer to me that I should do this, yeah? And, and I was just open to it. I asked the Holy Spirit and I asked Mary to help me in that process to discern what was this all about. I mean, a road trip I could understand. I've always been interested in that, to, to drive around there. Yeah. But as I prayed and prayed, it became more obvious to me that that this was going to turn into a pilgrimage, which I never mm-hmm. had thought about. I've never thought about that. And uh, as I sort of went home and started looking at stuff, I mapped out the plan that I was going to, the route that I was going to take with. And that consisted of 14 places that I was going to visit around Australia. And at each place, there was a cathedral with a holy door of mercy, yeah? Wow. And these were 14, 14 places. So again, I asked for direction, I discerned, and the stations of the cross came up. I thought, wow, there's 14 places, so it's 14 stations of the cross. Why don't I really make each stop a station of the cross? and really pray and reflect and go through the holy door and yeah. do that. So I did that. I did that. And look, that was a very, very powerful experience for me, never having really experienced the the, um, the adoration in, in such a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then look, just before uh, I was about three quarters of the way around Australia. Yeah. And it was the ninth station and nothing much really had happened you know I prayed and I sat there I sat and, and I discerned but something stopped me going through that door on the ninth uh, ninth station yeah. so, you know? so where are you here oh that would be three quarters so somewhere on the east coast between Cairns and Brisbane there I'm not sure where that was now Okay, so you're in central Queensland or... Yeah, yeah, along the coast, you know, Rockhampton, somewhere along there. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know, I know where you are. And um, I just stood frozen at this holy door of mercy, yeah? Yeah. Something stopped me there and I thought, I just stood there. Next minute, I felt a hand on my shoulder. And I turned around and I saw this man, long hair and a beard. Not, uh, not unlike our Lord. Mm. And he just said, why aren't you stepping forward? And I said, I don't know. So we said that prayer together. And we walked into the church together. And we sat and prayed. He, he was sitting behind me and I was in front of him, obviously, and, and went through the process there of doing the ninth station of the cross, yeah. which is the third fall. Yeah? Right. Yeah. So I thought, oh, I've got to talk to this man a bit more. I looked around, he was gone. Wow. And I just sat there and I prayed a bit more and I just thought, what, what is this, you know? And I just felt this warmth, this peace, this, how to explain, this, this, this serenity coming into me, there, sort of thing. So sometimes when I look at that, I, I look at this as my road of, to Emmaus, you know, yeah. where I was running away from something because there was a lot of turmoil in my life, I got divorced and my former wife died and all that sort of stuff. So there was yeah. a lot of stuff going on in me. Yeah. But after that moment, after coming out of that holy door of mercy, I had some clarity and I, I knew I was going towards something that 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 I couldn't imagine sort of thing because it really it, it really put me on a path of of another level of my of my spiritual journey sort of thing yeah so I felt really really embraced by the Holy Spirit yeah at that moment yeah for sure yeah all of that Jim is deeply profound and beautiful and I think anybody watching or listening to this uh, you can't not be touched by a story like that it's it's just such a strong testament to the love of God and and his persistence with us. It's just amazing. Um, Jim, 
now that you've deep, well, especially since that period of your life that you've just spoken about, that you've deepened your relationship with our Lord so much, um, bringing it back to masculinity and masculine spirituality, you know, as Catholic men, how has your relationship transformed um, your understanding of, of who you are specifically as a man? Because obviously you started off sharing at the beginning of this interview, not having male role models, getting involved in the wrong crowds, uh, getting involved with an older woman. And, you know, now you've, you've come so far from that place. What, what has Jesus done and how has he transformed your understanding of who you are specifically as a man? Um, it's, it's hard to put it in, in a couple of words there. Um, yeah. But he, he certainly has stirred something up in my soul. You know, I mean, I, I remember very clearly that, uh, I mean, I was very successful in business. Yeah. I've, I've made quite a bit of money and all that. And I always thought that was my doing. You know, I was so good. Yeah. Sure, yeah. I've never really had God as part of that. But mm -hmm. looking looking back at it now and having talked to Jesus in, in prayer and so forth, he was there every step of the way, you know, and and I always thought I was so good, you know, but I didn't do it alone. He was there for me and with me. He guided me through this. And and he also gave me this wonderful we can say it wonderful, this experience at home where there was a lot of violence and beating up and and men exerting their masculinity by violence, you know. Mm. Um, I just learned something different there, that this, this was not the way to go. And, and, and he's given me that experience. I suppose having experienced that, I didn't want to be that man. Yeah, I, didn't, I knew that I could do better and I could be better. So through all my experiences, he's really given me a, a new perspective on how to be a man. You don't have to be uh, somebody who, who asserts their strength and so forth, you know? Yeah. I think as long as you can be genuine, mm. uh, be true to yourself, and be able to communicate uh, to people uh, your story, I think that's so important for us men in particular, because we sit on a lot of stuff, you know? Yes. We sit on a lot of stuff. We, think we don't get rid of stuff. And um, he's also helped me to, and, and this, is, this is, again, this is not something that I would have done off my own back, but I worked in the, in the drug and alcohol industry in, in, um, in facilitating groups for many, many years. And... Um, and that was, again, that was such a beautiful experience that he's given me there, that when I saw men there that were given the opportunity to share something and, and made them feel safe and not, not being judged or whatever, men were actually willing to open up and speak about what was happening, what their difficulties were and all that. Mm -hmm. And that impressed me so much and, and and it got me back to to my to my to my youth, to my to my childhood, if you like, because I experienced that sort of thing, this camaraderie, this sort of fellowship. I experienced that in the game. Yeah. You know, I knew how it felt, and we were doing wrong. There's no doubt about that. But there was still this camaraderie. There was still this, and I thought, well. I want to take this with me and do something with that, yeah? yeah? Because I think it's so important. And many of us think we can journey on our own, we can do it all and be this soldier and, and, and go on and all that. But certainly he has given me this, this, and I mean, look, Jesus could have done it on his own, yeah? But he, he had his apostles there with him. So what a beautiful example that is. Yeah, he set so the that, example of, of community that, and fellowship that we need. We need that as men. We need that, you know, and and that's why I'm so passionate about this men's ministry sort of thing. That yeah. this path that he's put me on. Look, if you would have asked me 20 years ago, I would have said, look, all this stuff is for priests and nuns and all that, yeah, because mm -hmm. they're paid for it, they study for it, and all that. Yeah. But look, there are so many beautiful experiences that 
that I've had in, in, in men's groups with men just openly sharing about their faith, their difficulties and all that. It just warms your heart. Yeah. So he's, he's put me on this path and, and we can do that without violence. We can do it with love. Yeah. Yeah. And Jim, from this transformative experience that you've been through, what advice can you give to men who have strained relationships with family members or who are holding grudges? Like you just said, men are sitting on a lot of things. A lot of that has to do with the relationships, even, you know, with their wives or with, with their kids or with their parents, uh, in-laws, anything like that. Um, yeah. What, what advice can you give to bring healing into those situations? Look again, this is speaking from my experience there, and, and it's, it's often one of the hardest things to do is to confront somebody who has hurt you. Mm. And, and there's always a risk attached to that because they may not admit that. They may not even be aware of that because yeah. we, at that point, we hadn't verbalized that, that they've done that or not, you know. So there's often, often a risk to approach somebody and say, look, you've hurt me, yeah? And, and there it, it comes back to have these, um, these deeper relationships there and, 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 and talk about that and, and really be open to that. And, and one of the things I learned in these groups was uh, a process called ABC. Yeah? And, and this is something that I've learned for myself is that Men often, or not only men, women also, you know, they, they get um, what we call, they get activated by something, an activating event. You know, somebody cuts them off in traffic or says something to them and they feel hurt or whatever. So that's, Yeah, they're triggered. That, yeah, a trigger, an activation, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And then our belief system comes in, our behavior comes in, you know, yes. how do we process that? Yes. And if we remain in our heads, we we tend to be reactors, if you like, yeah, because we we want to get back at somebody or whatever, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas giving that time to reflect on it a little bit and letting it go down to our heart and soul, where the Holy Spirit will heal heal us. Yes. I think we can uh, move on and then have different consequences to what we might have done if we hadn't thought about that. Mm. And that's part of the challenge that we get to later on too. But that's been a wonderful process for me to be able to get out of my head and get into my, into my heart and soul. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and often for men, that's the hard journey that they want someone to do because for us, that's foreign territory. Yeah. We can't predict what's there in our heads and our minds. We can sort of predict things as, 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 as we can, if you like. But in our heart and soul, that's, that's foreign territory for us. So mm. that I would encourage that for men to really, really think about that before they react, you know, become a responder rather from a reactor. So the responder comes from the heart and from the soul. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that and other wisdom that God has brought into your mind and heart through all of these experiences that you've been sharing with us has led you now to do a lot of really great work in men's ministry in the Archdiocese of Sydney. Um, can you tell us, I mean, we are sort of coming towards the end of the time here, but can you tell us about some of the great fruits that you've been seeing through setting up men's small groups around the archdiocese yeah look there, there again um when when we've had these events and you've been part of that journey as well there chris and steve um just again it brings me back to my gang there sort of thing you know when you have these encounters these breakfasts that we've organized yeah and just see men gathering around uh, seeing them at adoration and doing mass and singing their hearts out you know and also then meeting in fellowship and in the small groups that uh, that's heartwarming, you know, because I believe there's a lot of negativity and you hear a lot of negativity about what men do to women and so forth out there in the world. Yeah. Yes. But that gives me a little bit of hope that there are good men around and 
uh, I just want to be part of that process to get these good men out in front to speak about what they're doing and, and, and be the man that God has created them to be. Yeah. And um, that is, the, I think that's just so very important these days. And especially now coming out of these lockdown and all that, there's probably been a lot of experience that men have uh, during this isolation sort of thing, you know, and being faced with confronting or, or, or situations because they had to stay at home or work from home or whatever and start to negotiate, negotiate a few things, you know. So there's been a few challenges there, I guess, you know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, that's part of the reason I asked you the previous question because we, we've seen all this stuff percolating through guys staying at home. It's either brought the best out of relationships, I think, or but in some cases, if there was underlying tension there, it may have brought the worst out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, as men, you know, we've got to do the hard thing, especially hard thing for us as men, and be humble. Yeah. <laughs> And open ourselves to receiving some wisdom into how, you know, we might bring peace and healing into those relationships like you were definitely. sharing before. Yeah, definitely. Um, Jim, I don't want to end the story without hearing um, the conclusion of what happened between you and, and your mum. So would you mind sharing about how our Lord, you know, intervened in your life to, to heal your relationship with your mum? Yeah, sure. And, and look, this was another um, uh, another big, big uh, encounter with our Lord there because I had this strained relationship, but it was starting to mend. She came back from Germany and then joined me in Australia. And um, shortly before she died, I, I really confronted her and said to her how she has actually hurt me. During and is this time. after you've after you've had your Schoenstatt encounter or oh, yeah yeah after that yeah. after okay. that because I was then I was not angry anymore yeah yeah I yeah. was I was a lot calmer and I, I had thought about it and and so forth so uh, I was ready to be and and look lucky for me she was also ready she said to me she was trying to find a way to talk to me about that because she felt mm. guilty and ashamed of what she had done to me right and and. Look, uh, she was dying, and she was so scared of dying. She was really uh, scared of choking to death, if you like, and, and she was all, almost obsessive about that. Mm. And I couldn't do anything for her, you know, and, and she rang me up one morning, and she said, oh, look, what should I do? I just don't know what to do anymore. I don't want to live anymore, but I'm so afraid of dying. And out of nowhere came this comment from me and I said, why don't you pray to Jesus? And she said, what, can you do that? And I said, yes, of course, you know. <laughs> and, and she did, and it was quite funny actually, you know, talking to your mother that way, you know, but <laughs> she, uh, she embraced that and she rang me two days afterwards and she said, I've got my answer. I'm ready to go. Wow. Okay, so, and, and I thought, wow, what a moment that was. So the process of her dying was also a beautiful, beautiful process. I was able to put my arms around her and tell her that I loved her. And she died with a smile on her face. Yeah? That's and beautiful. that was really a good thing for me to see. But then this other experience that really, really put me onto a deeper, deeper uh, relationship with our Lord and with the Holy Spirit and with Mary. Mm -hmm was that when we got to a friend of hers and she knew that my mother was in hospital yeah. and we told her that she had passed yeah. this woman actually said okay just thing on and she didn't know when it was she said okay on this particular night at 11.20 I heard a noise in my bedroom and I turned around and looked at my clock and it was 11.20. That's exactly the time and the day that my mother died. Mm. And of course, I was very suspicious. I thought, you know, how could she know? Yeah, so I rang yeah, the yeah. hospital up and they said, no, we wouldn't tell anybody. Yeah. But then she said that this woman said, she said, they made a pact, uh, my mother and her, that, that, that they would give each other a sign that they were there. 
Right. And I just freaked out. I just thought, wow, yeah. you know, <laughs> come on. That can't be coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that again, that really, and, and I think that was our Lord talking to me and saying, look, I'm here. I'm real. Yeah. I'm in your life. Yeah. Amen. Like it or not. <laughs> Amen. Jim, such, such beautiful stories. Such beautiful stories. Okay. Um, finally, uh, Jim, how would you like to challenge the men watching and listening to this um, for the the coming week, or maybe the coming weeks in their lives? Yeah, look, this is really not an easy one. Um, and I remember my spiritual director, when I first uh, went to him, he used to say, well, I used to think, okay, spiritual director, he's going to give me all the answers that I need. Yeah? Yeah. That's what he's there for. He's holy, he's done the studies, he knows God, <laughs> you know. So, whenever I came to him, and said to him, this was bothering me, this has happened, or whatever, all he would say to me was, what is God saying to you in that? Yeah. That's all he would say. Yeah. And that went on for months, until finally the penny dropped, you know? That, I mean, if God knows every hair on our head, surely he knows, you know, that uh, what's happening in our life, and that's the purpose. And so... He also said to me that God works through secondary causes, you know, and that's the events that happen in our lives, the people that yes. we need in our lives. And I know I had some anger at some stage, you know, when people cut you off in traffic, you would blow up your views, so-and-so, you know. That's right. And so uh, my way of dealing with that now is, okay, what is God saying to me in that event? Whenever something happens to you, whenever you meet somebody that gets up your goat or whatever, don't react, respond. And mm -hmm. really ask, what is God saying to me in that? Because that's a lesson for us to learn, that we maybe have to be a little bit more patient. We might have to look deeper into ourselves, where that hurt or where that, where that is coming from. But really be aware that, that God is there. He gives us opportunities to get closer to him every second of the day. Yeah. For this week, just be aware of those instances where you might fly off your handle or whatever, <laughs> but maybe just peg it back a bit. Yeah. Say, Mary or whatever and say, okay, God, why, what, what are you saying to me in this? What is my lesson in this? What do you want me to learn from this? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. And share that insight with a loved one. Yeah? Because that then will bring you closer into intimacy with the loved one. Yeah. So it's not an easy one. It's not. Yeah, but it's good. It's, it really gets to the heart, doesn't it? And that's where it's all happening. In their heart and soul. It's all happening, yeah. Yeah? yeah? It's a challenge to humility. And, I mean, I would encourage... Uh, you and guys uh, out there to if you are comfortable to what degree you feel comfortable to sh maybe share some of that in our Facebook group as well yep definitely Jim thank you so much you have been an absolute gift to this show I think your story has so much power to influence many men's lives and women's lives too really just anyone uh, to bring them closer to our Lord and his church Jim, would you like to say a closing prayer for everybody watching or listening? Okay, look, I've had my struggle with pornography in the past, and I've come through that. Yes. And I've got a good story with that as well, that would okay. help people. Okay. But here's my Schoenstatt prayer to our mother, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I'll say that, yeah? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary. For the sake of your purity, keep me pure in body and soul. Open wide to me your heart and the heart of your son. Implore for me deep self-knowledge and the grace to persevere and remain faithful until death. Give me souls. Keep all else for yourself. Amen. 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 Father, and the Son, and the Spirit.
Amen. Jim, thank you so much for being with us on Maximus. And for all the men watching and listening, thank you for being with us. We'll be back to you with another episode very soon. Once again, thank you for tuning in. Thanks again, Jim. And I'm sure we'll have you on another time in the future. Until that time, God bless. God bless. Bye.